Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written back in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, the eighth chapter, beginning at the fourth verse. Moreover thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit, they refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. How do ye say we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. The prophet Jeremiah lived about 600 years before Jesus came into the world. He was the prophet, the preacher that God used for the southern kingdom of Judah. We may say to ourselves this morning, what was going on amongst the people in the smaller kingdom, that of the kingdom of Judah? Well, it was just like this. The people in the southern kingdom, for the most part, had turned away from God, and they had turned to wickedness. They had turned to worldly, sinful pleasures, and they refused to repent. And the reason was simple. They were having too much fun in serving the world in its willful and wicked pleasures. What kind of a message could God give to people who had turned against him to the world and who were enjoying it to the very nth degree? God told Jeremiah that he was to say this to them, thus saith the Lord. He said, tell them this, will they fall and not arise? Will he turn away and not return? In other words, God said, Jeremiah, you tell my people this and ask them this question. What do you think about a man who falls down and who doesn't get up again? Now this is a man that falls, he doesn't hurt himself, but he falls and he just lies there. And I am sure the people of Judah told Jeremiah, a man that falls down that doesn't have sense enough to get up is just plain stupid, he's a fool. After all, that's idiotic. If you fall down and you're not hurt, you get yourself up again. And then Jeremiah was to say, what do you think about a man who gets on the wrong road and finds out that he's on the wrong road when he's traveling, 
but he refuses to get back on the right road. And I'm sure that the people of Judah told Jeremiah when he asked them that question, well, any man that's on the wrong road and knows it, and there's the right road and doesn't get back on, he's just plain foolish. He's a stupid fool. That's all you can say for him. And then Jeremiah said, and this is what God says to you, why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back with a perpetual backsliding? Why do they refuse to return? In other words, God said, you tell the people of Judah this, Jeremiah, that because they refuse to repent, because they refuse to turn away from the world and from the wickedness of sinful pleasures and come back to me, you tell them that this is the height of stupidity. This is the height of foolishness. This is the height of idiocy. But they didn't believe it because they were having too much fun. And we in the 20th century, we may say, when God brings this message that he had Jeremiah give to the people of the southern kingdom, brings it to us this morning, we may say to ourselves, what is our answer when God says, if they fall, shall they not arise? And on the basis of that, you and I would say this to God, any fellow that falls down isn't hurt and just lies there and stays there is just a plain stupid fool. He hasn't got the sense God gave a jackass. There's something wrong with him. Uh, there is something he's lost his buttons. There is nonsense in any man that would fall down and stay there. And we'd say the same to God. If God said, what do you think about a man who gets on the wrong road and finds out he's on the wrong road and doesn't go back? You and I'd say, well, that fellow's a stupid fool. He hasn't got the brains God gave him. He's lost what few he's got, wouldn't we? But when God says to you and me, if again we refuse to repent and we have turned away from Jesus Christ and we have turned to the wickedness of the world and we have turned to worldly pleasures and we refuse and if God says to you and me this morning, therefore this is the height of stupidity on your part. This is utter foolishness. This is utter nonsense. This is unreasonableness. This is ridiculousness at its worst. Then you and I sort of stop, don't we? And we'd say, well, I'm not too sure about that. I don't know whether this is the height of stupidity. And we may say to ourselves, maybe this is the height of wisdom. And we may say, like Judah Bold, you know, there's a lot of fun lying down there when you think about it, if you're going to connect it with the way we live. Well, why shouldn't I lie down there? Why shouldn't I stay on the wrong road? There's more fun lying down there. There's more fun on the wrong road than there is in serving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Doesn't God know that? And yet God says to you and me, if we refuse to repent and to turn away from the world and worldly sinful pleasures, God says, this is just as foolish. It is just as stupid as the man that falls down who isn't hurt and just refuses to get up again. Or the man on the wrong road that knows it and just refuses to get on the right road. And God says it's the height of stupidity because God insists there is more fun. There is more joy in following Jesus than there is in following the world. Do you really believe that? You may say to me this morning, that would be a hard thing, fella, for you to prove that there's more fun, more unadulterated joy in following Christ than there is in 
following and indulging in the wickedness of the world with its worldly pleasures. You may say you'll have a hard job proving that to me, but I'd like to try because God is convinced there's more fun in following Jesus than in following the world because in the first place God reminds you and me of that wickedness, of that worldly sinful desires and pleasures do bring joy, but at best only temporary, followed by endless unsatisfying craving. I'd be insane myself to say to you this morning that there's no fun in worldliness, in wickedness. Why, if there was no fun in immorality, if there was no fun in drunkenness, if there was no fun in taking LSD and taking the trip, then why do millions do it? Temptation, when it comes to you and me, always offers fun and pleasure. It did to Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Satan said, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God. And Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They thought that was a lot of fun. And therefore, when the world says, here is fun, fun's in immorality, fun's in getting plastered, fun is in taking the trip, that's true. There is. You mean there's no fun in looking at pictures of beautiful women in go-go girls that are naked from the waist on up? Do you mean there's no fun in adultery? Do you mean that there's no fun in fornication? Why, of course there's fun. Well, that's why millions have turned to it. God doesn't deny that. But it's only temporary fun. What about sexuality? What about immorality? Let a couple get married and let it be on the basis of sexuality. That he is a handsome Greek god and she is no less than a beautiful Greek goddess. And if it's based only on sexuality, I give them six months at the most. Because in six months, the thrill of that kind of joy is over with. That's the wife that comes in after six months and says, I don't want my husband to touch me. I have lost all love for him. There is no joy. There is no thrill. And that's the case when the husband comes in and says, somehow, rather, I'm impotent. Somehow, mother, I've lost my manliness. I have no joy in my wife whatsoever. It's gone. Why? Because God made you and me that with what the world has to offer in sexuality and immorality and in getting plastered or in taking a trip, it brings joy, but it doesn't last. There comes, therefore, the only answer, promiscuity. So you've got to go out and you've got to seek joy in somebody else, and on and on it goes. And what happens when promiscuity comes in sexuality? I was in a government veterans hospital not too long ago, over 2,000 men there, and I asked the officer that I was with, why are these men here? Believe it or not, this was the answer, and it shocked me. He says over 99% 
of these more than 2,000 are here because they have been bad boys. They have syphilis. Syphilis has gotten into their bodies and it's gotten into their brains and there is softening of the brain. A locomotor ataxia. And you doctors tell me that in the venereal disease that a man can have a syphilitic infection and he can go out in, in, in promiscuity, he can get another infection on top of that one and it eats out a man's mind. It eats out his nervous system. You mean to say that there's a lot of fun in sexuality and immorality? I had a man in my office one day in this idea of being drunk to try to satisfy this thing, drinking two-fifths a day. I've never seen a man more filled with alcohol and yet able to talk. And the representative of the local AA told me that he stands as a monument. Nearly a half a gallon of whiskey in 24 hours and still standing sober in a body screaming for more because it never satisfies. And God alone knows in the taking of the acid, as it's called, and in this trip, just what comes. I walked into the hospital one day and the nurse said to me, whispered, don't touch that bed. That woman has syphilis, watch it. When you go into some rest homes and you see a man 80 years old and his hands are tied to keep him from playing with himself, you and I say to ourselves, what fun. When we look to the world, and the world says, come on, this is the way to live. Let joy be unconfined. As Jeremiah told the people of Judah, you'll rush into it like a horse going into battle. Unbridled. You mean to say there's more fun? When a woman called me one day and she says, a man going through the backyard, and I have my underwear on the line. He's chewing my underwear. You say, for God's sakes, what gets in the man? And men who can't keep their hands off of their own children. That's fun. Nobody denies that the world offers fun. But take it from God, it's temporary, and it leaves a craving that is endless. That's hell. Hell is the endless craving for the wickedness of the world that'll never be satisfied in hell. Then you say, what fun is there in Jesus Christ? May I just say this? The fun of being rid and not having that. The fun of having a decent mind and a sound body. The mind of not trying to satisfy the wants of the soul where it can't be satisfied. The joy and the fun of self-discipline in Jesus Christ. The fun of being able to say no. God in this 20th century speaks to you and me in the message that he gave to Jeremiah when he said to Jeremiah, you ask them, shall they fall and not arise? What about a man that falls down who isn't hurt and just lies there? He's stupid. He's foolish. He's idiotic. And God says, when you refuse to repent and you've turned to the world and you refuse to turn away, you're just as stupid and just as nonsensical and just as idiotic as the man that just lies there and doesn't move. But you and I say, but I don't know. There's more fun lying down there. I don't believe there is. 
And when God says, this is the height of stupidity, this morning we ought to say to ourselves, am I one that has wandered away from Jesus Christ and turned to the world, and do I refuse to return? Am I in the height of folly and foolishness? Am I that stupid? Before we answer, let's know this. It's easy to be stupid. And the reason why it's easy is that you and I think we're logical, thinking, reasoning human beings, and that we decide our moral conduct on the basis of logic. Let me prove how wrong we are. The best investigation, and I'm not here to talk about cigarettes as being wrong. There's nothing in the Word of God that says it's wrong, but I know and you know that men who have gone into research about cigarettes and lungs tell us that the cigarette smoker has a greater incidence to lung cancer. It brings on again emphysema that there's no doubt about it. There is a direct connection. Now that's what medicine said. You would think then if you and I ran our life on the basis of our head and not on emotion that there would be such a drop in smoking cigarettes that they'd almost go out of business and yet they're up. Greater sales in cigarettes. Why? Because the greatest scientists who can put astronauts on the moon, who are so scientific, can tell you about a hole in a cigarette. The point is this, you and I don't decide our moral way of life by the head, by logic. You and I decided by feeling. Don't you ever kid yourself that you aren't emotional. We smoke because we like it. We exempt ourselves. The man that turns to the world, he isn't logical. He is stupid. Why? You can see it with the guy lying on the ground. But when it comes home to you and me, we are like, again, a little speck of reason in an ocean of emotion. It's the heart. And the heart, again, you can't trust. It's feeling. And because of that, Again, that's what God says. We rush in like a horse unbridled into battle. And we ought to realize that the head doesn't decide, in your case and mine, nearly as much as the heart or the emotion. The way we feel, what do we care about logic or about reasoning? And thus again, we ought to realize this, that you can't predict what you and I will do in these choices when the world beckons. God says to Jeremiah, you tell the people of Judah that the stork knows her season. Talking about migratory birds, you can predict what a migratory bird's going to do. When it comes spring, the migratory bird's going to go one day away, and when it comes fall, he's going to go another, and that is in sync, and he follows that pattern, and you don't stop him. But God says, yes, they know their seasons, but my people do not know the ordinances of the Lord. You and I are the most unpredictable beings that God has created. Who knows what you're going to do next or I in this matter of moral conduct. Oh, it's simply unpredictable. Women were at a bridge club one afternoon just to show you what happens. And so they decided each one would take a paper and pencil and they would decide what would you do in this case. You have found out that your husband has another woman on the string. Now here's the gun. You're going to shoot somebody. Whom would you shoot? Rather strange. The answers came. One woman said she'd shoot her husband and kill him. Another one said she'd kill the other woman. Another one said no, she'd kill herself. Another one said she'd kill her husband and the other woman and then kill herself. 
Another one said again that she would kill those and commit suicide for herself. Or again, she would just kill the other woman. There was no rhyme or reason to the answers why. It's thoroughly unpredictable. That's why one of you said to me you like to be around animals more than around human beings because you can predict what an animal is going to do. I can tell what my dog's going to do under certain circumstances, but you and I don't know what we're going to do because the head doesn't run your life or mine nearly like the heart. How do you feel? God says it's the height of stupidity. Is it? God says when you and I turn away from him, it's the height of stupidity. You and I say, well, I, I can see when this guy's lying down there, he's sure a stupid fool not to get up. But when you hook it up, come on, after all, it's pretty nice down there. I see a lot more fun in serving the world, a lot more fun in going out for worldly pleasures, but God says there's more fun, and God is convinced of it in following Christ than in following the world. Do you believe it? I think in the second place, God reminds you and me that whenever we follow the world, we bring sorrow and we bring heartache on others. I don't think I ever have a funeral when I have buried somebody who has thrown his life away that somebody from the family will come up and say, it's too bad about so-and-so, rather sad, but he only hurt himself. They make that, he only hurt himself. There is no bigger lie in all the world. Do you think you and I live in an island? Do you think you and I can live as we please and go to the world and drink in everything from A to Z without hurting somebody else since when? In this society, in this life, when we are so inseparably connected with one another, it is impossible for any man to go to the world and to live to the world without hurting deeply somebody that he loves. When the family is broken up, talk to the kids who come from broken homes. Something's wrong, they're marked children for the rest of their lives. Why? God never intended children to be raised in a broken home. But when we turn to the world and the world breaks up our home, what happens? And then how about the illegitimate children? Oh, when an illegitimate child comes, yes. The mother who isn't married can say, I love my child enough that I'm going to put my child out for adoption. I'm going to see that my child gets a name. I'm going to see that my child gets a home and a father and mother who will love my child, who will give my child an opportunity. That is good, and I compliment you for that. But is that the end of the story? Is that the end of the story? I have placed any number of adopted children in homes. And may I testify to you parents with adopted children, the love and the joy that you have, and again, the care that you share sometimes is greater than you'd ever show on your own. But what's the other side of the story? When the adopted child comes in to see me, as a young lady did not long ago, and says, did my mother really love me so much that she gave me away? Was I a child of love or was it just plain lust? Was it just this that my mother was out on a fling and she got tight? Was that all it was? Am I nothing? Who was my mother? What kind of a woman was she? What was my father like? Was my mother a tramp? I'd like to know what she's like. If she was a tramp, then I'm a tramp. Then no one cares. And I'll throw my life away. And I don't care how I live. And I don't care what I do. Don't you and I ever kid ourselves that when we turn away from Jesus Christ and turn to the world, we hurt only ourselves. That's a lie. That's the lie of the age. More fun in Jesus Christ, the fun what of right living.
he may say, what fun is there in right living? And may I just say this. The Word of God says that right living is joyful living, the beauty of holiness. I wonder if you and I don't forget this, and maybe that's the fault of the pilgrim, that when we think of Jesus and his sufferings on the cross, we forget that his was the happiest life that was ever lived. Don't forget that. The grandest, the happiest, the most joyous, the most effervescing life that was ever lived was that of Jesus of Nazareth, in spite of the cross. Why? Because it was a holy life. John Milton says, virtue has its own reward. In other words, he says, the joy of right living is right living. And only those who live right experience the joy. The joy of peace in Jesus Christ. If Christ was the happiest life, then there is more happiness in following Jesus Christ than in any fun that the world may offer that is only temporary. You know, sometimes we may say to ourselves, why isn't wrong right? Why didn't God make wrong right that so we could go out and live to the world and drink in immorality and drink in drunkenness and go out and take the trip and go out like a horse that rides unbridled in the battle? Why can't we do that? Why didn't he do it? Didn't God want us to have a good time? I think the first thing we've got to say is this. God is holy and God says that's the happiest life. But we forget something about sin. We forget that sin is not only an offense against God, but it's got a sinfulness connected with it. We forget the sinfulness of sin. That sin brings a result that whenever wrong is done, it isn't only a wrong done, but it has results and it brings sorrow and it brings heartache. And it makes people say, why was I ever born? When innocent people suffer when we live for the world. And when you and I believe that God says, listen, the man that turns away from Jesus Christ and lives to the world because there's more fun is stupid. Just as foolish and stupid and insane. He's lost what little he's got. Just as stupid as the man that falls down and doesn't have sense enough to get up when he falls down. Or the man that's on the wrong road that doesn't have sense enough to get to the right road. God Almighty assures you and me again that there's more fun in following Christ. And we say, is there because in the third place, let's know this. That God reminds you and me that when we live for the world, there comes a dread of God and the judgment. Don't kid yourself. The man that has sown his life to the world, who has turned his back on Jesus Christ and God calls and refuses to go back, when again the years come and the years roll and he sees the regret that has come and the sorrow that his life has brought to himself and to others that he's loved, he's afraid to die. That's why, oh, sometimes there's a braggadocia. That's the guy that says... Oh, when I die, bury me in a Jewish cemetery. It's the last place God will look for me. Ha, 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 ha. That's supposed to be funny, you know. Yeah, God will find you. Or the fellow says, I want my body cremated. There may be a lot of legitimate reasons for cremation, but many a man wants it burned up to dust, hoping that God won't have the power to put it back together again. How stupid can we get? To be afraid and to dread the judgment day. And in contrast to that following Christ, to have him as our companionship, and then to know that there is an eternity in the fullness of joy in heaven awaiting us. People say, what will heaven be like? Heaven will be holiness. And some say, oh shoot, who wants to go to heaven if it's going to be holiness? 
But heaven is fullness of joy. What that means I don't know. Except I know this. What that joy is going to be like. But in heaven with Christ. Who has gone to prepare a place for us. It means joy to the very nth degree. It means no craving for anything but what it will be satisfied. It will be the absolute joy. It must be wonderful. Although God can't even describe it in human language. Because my Lord came into the world and died on the cross so that I might have that fullness of joy. He rose from the dead to assure me that he had bought it for me, and he gloriously returned to heaven, and he prepares a place for you and for me, and for all who love him. It must be tremendous. And oh, to God that you and I would just not be so stupid as, again, to say that it can't be joy and to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Fullness of joy, to me, that's worth waiting for. Which simply means this, bringing it right down in your pew and right up here into you who are listening. When God says, if we have turned away and we refuse to repent, we are as stupid as the man that falls down who isn't hurt and refuses to get up. Uh, God says again, why don't you repent and why don't you come back? Perhaps some of us would say, I I'd like to go back to Jesus Christ. I'd like to repent and return to him. I've had enough of this. I found out that it isn't all is not gold that glitters. And we may say, but what kind of a reception do you get from heaven? We may say to ourselves, yeah, I'll go back. And God said, about time. About time you're coming back. I thought you would. I thought you'd go out and live your life the way you want to live. Then you'd come back. And then you expect me to take you back. And you and I may say, I don't want that kind of a reception. Don't you know what kind of a reception you and I get when we come back? Jesus told a story once. There's no secret as to the kind of reception. Jesus told a story about a younger man, you know, that went away from home. And he went out and, boy, he lived it up. There wasn't anything that he hadn't done. Just like the mother that came in and told me about her 14-year-old girl, she said, Reverend Hansen, my daughter's 14 years old and there isn't anything she hasn't done. She's run the gamut of sin from one end to the other. You can't name it. Imagine 14 years old. 14 years old. Everything that was wrong. This young son of this father went out and did the same. And then finally he got to the end of his rope, didn't he? And everything was gone and this longing and this yearning. There was no more fun in anything and he decided to go home. And he wondered too, what kind of reception will I get? Will my father say, why well, don't you stay home like your older brother? Then you'd amount it to something. Now you're coming back. You've spent everything that I gave you. Uh, why don't you? And he says, I I I'm going home. I don't know what I'm going to get. Uh, I'll, I'll not plead that I want to be a son again if you just let me be a servant. But he, he didn't know, but he, he started back, remember? And oh God, when he started back, remember that there was a father waiting. The father saw him before he ever saw the father. There was a father out looking, and he saw some in the distance, and the father said, I believe that's my boy. I think it is. It, it looks like, oh, he's dirty and he's bedraggled. I believe that's my son. And as he went on for, it is. And he ran and he threw his arms around that boy. And he said, oh, my son that was lost is found. My son that was dead is alive again. You know, that boy... He wondered what kind of reception. He never got it out of his mouth. He never said, Father, uh, I, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a higher. He never got that out. Father said, come on, we're going to give you a bath. We're going to put on a clean robe. We're going to put a ring on your finger. We're going to kill the fatted calf. 
That was the reception. If you want to make heaven happy, when you and I think we're at the end of the line, we say, this isn't fun, this is hell. I'm going back to Jesus. Oh, what a reception. The bells of heaven ring. There's no secret as to the reception. You see, it, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. If we have fallen, shall we not rise again? Let's don't be stupid. It's no secret what God will do. Amen.